Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons, a genetic and family investigator. And I'm Jody Klugman Rabb, a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed professional clinical counselor. Welcome to Sex, Lies, and the Truth. Ryan Anderson learned about his adoption just before his 18th birthday and told no one for the next 12 years until he posted a video about his story to YouTube in late summer 2021. Here's a clip of Ryan's intro in that video. Just before I was 18, I found out I was adopted. In adoption terms, I'm called an LDA, late discovery adoptee. Finding this out tore me apart. I was broken and I've been ashamed of the secret for years, not telling anyone. I was abandoned at the hospital with no information of any of my biological family. So I don't know who my parents are, if I have any brothers or sisters, who abandoned me and why, and if any of my family are still alive. Ryan goes on in the video to detail an adoption journey that isn't yet complete and far from being emotionally resolved. Born in Morocco, but raised in Scotland, his genetic origin a total mystery to this day. Ryan hasn't ever felt he fits into any particular group, and it's taken a toll in his relationships. More now from my interview with Ryan. Yeah, I was adopted uh, from Morocco. Um, I'm a, in my adoption terms, I'm a foundling. So I was um, found, um, no information, and um, my adopted mother, who's English, she picked me um, in the hospital and um, yeah, brought me back to to Scotland and yeah they were, she gave me a, a good life she loved me like her own she was too scared to tell Ryan of his adoption and like many of us MPE Ryan suspected there was something different about him despite looking like his father yeah I always knew there was something odd about me but um my adopted dad was Moroccan so he looked like my dad his adoption never really crossed my mind yeah, so come to 18, I found out um, about my adoption. My mum wrote me a letter and um, that totally um, broke me. I was really upset and I ended up leaving the house I was staying in with my mum, getting my own place, just blocking that information out and just doing teenager things. Yeah, and then it got a job and... Yeah, just when I was younger, it was quite easy to uh, block it out. I was getting around drinking drugs and um, used to the pub and all the clubbing. And yeah, I just wanted to be friends with everyone. So I kind of just made my friends, my family. Even though we can choose those we are closest to and have a family by choice, there is still something unexplainable about the need to have a genetic connection to kin to the people you share blood with. No matter how many friends you feel are family, our guests and clients tell us there is no substitute for knowing where you came from and who they are. Yeah, enjoyed the traveling part and um, got into Ibiza as a uh, part island in Spain and just started living the life out there. But I was always upset. Yeah, I was just always looking for the next buzz. But everyone thought, I had an amazing life because I was traveling and partying and living the Peter Pan life. And then when um, COVID uh, happened in March 2020, yeah, I was I noticed the drinking drugs that was getting 
I done it a bit too much, damaging my health. And I've always wanted to stop it, but I would never, I would never do it. So then I made the decision that I'm going to stop. And I finally dealt with my adoption. Uh, it took me well, a lot of courage to even tell the doctors about my adoption. And I kept my family distant. The topic of medical information needed at doctors' offices is usually a trigger for adoptees, reminding them of the lack of information they have about themselves, and in some cases, some life-saving information, as we saw in our Season 1 episode with AJ. Remember, Ryan told no one of his adoption from his 18th year until his video posted in 2021. That's almost 12 years. Suddenly, throwing it out into the universe may have had some adverse effects. I was embarrassed for a week. And I was scared to go out in public. I was a bit lost. And then a couple of months down the line, I was I felt like I needed to do something else. And um just started on a journey of getting better. So I stopped drinking drugs for a year. Yeah, I just started going to therapy, going to support groups. I was really shy and withdrawn at the start. And yeah, so for instance, I would join a couple of Facebook groups and I would be scared in case anyone seen me in them. I wouldn't speak. And now I'm in about 30 groups and lots of support groups so uh, can show the progress that I've made. There are still times Ryan feels like the progress isn't enough. Still times he is dealing with depression, supporting what psychological research has long studied regarding adoption, the impact of genealogical bewilderment, of not being part of one's biological family. But after my story, yeah, it was, I felt a big... Like, what next? And, um, yeah, with my family being in Morocco and I've got no information, it is a very big um, task for me to try and even find any um, family. And then if I do, I've got the language barrier, got lots of obstacles, so it's quite overwhelming, that task. Let's listen to another video clip of Ryan describing the inner experience of adoption and trust. As adoptees, some of us believe we did something wrong. Some of us believe we are worth less and we need to be grateful and need to be perfect. It was like I needed to prove to everyone that I deserved to be the one picked from my mum. And I thought people were happier than me because I was carrying the secret. Most of the time, I was having a conversation with someone. I was wanting to talk about what was going on in my mind, but I never had the guts to open up. The only person I would speak to would be my mum and she would do her best to help. I have to admit, at times, I also felt guilty, as I thought my mum loved me more than the other kids. Maybe she thought I needed it. Maybe because I felt I never had any real family, and I pushed my adopted family away. And I found it hard to let go of friendships, and also very upsetting and depressing when friends took my kindness for weakness. And I became numb when people done bad stuff to me, and that happened a lot. But I didn't forget the times my friends broke my trust. Different friends every time letting you down. So I'd go through phases where I'd distance myself from people. What Ryan's describing is the effect of a negative attachment style, and that's been part of the adoption research for decades. Stemming from the early work of psychoanalytic theorists, attachment style is believed to be an essential task in early childhood and functions in direct response to the quality of a caregiver's attention, or lack thereof. You can imagine, then, how a foundling may develop a basic lack of trust if there isn't a consistent caregiver there to respond. Here's the real kicker. Whatever that attachment style, we can see it play out in significant relationships throughout the lifespan. Back to my interview with Ryan. 
some days I'm just like, what's the point? I'm still a bit lost sometimes, but yeah, my mental health goes up and down. And I'm right now I feel really good. Usually I'm like a hundred mile an hour. I'm always uh, doing this, doing that. A lot of pressure on myself. Um, always helping others. Um, a people pleaser. Um, doing too much. Um, wanting impatient. And basically, I just crash. And um, I can be the most sociable person. And then I'll just go quiet and ignore everyone and just be, and I'm really stubborn. So people will try and help me and I'll just sit and sulk. And... Ryan mentioned pushing his adopted family away at times, not understanding what the anger was about, but knowing he just didn't feel right. He didn't fit in. Even though he had the same skin color as his father, who was also from Morocco, Ryan's mixed race family experienced a lot of racism and bullying, which understandably triggered a lot of anger and distrust. In the video, Ryan talks at length about the effect drinking and partying had on his mental health, starting a cycle of avoidance and escapism through travel and substances. Here's another clip. Well, over the years, for me, depression was kicking, and it got worse. And the drinking drugs, that wouldn't help. I would start off my bed for a day, then it could lead to four or five days. People were calling, getting worried, not wanting to leave my house. And when I did, I felt anxious. And I always felt as if someone was out to get me. But helping others helped me snap out of it. And I was easy to talk to, so people came to me with their problems. But I wouldn't talk to anyone about mine. Whether late discovery adoptee or NPE, it seems the entire MPE spectrum comes to the same experience in parallel. A sense they are to blame, a sense they don't fit in, and a sense their needs are less important than others. Ryan speaks beautifully about all of that, and that it's a constant effort to maintain his gains. Now back to the interview. I just want to just try and spread the message to people who are uh, struggling that, um, yes, something just clicks in your head and you do get better. And you just need to find different ways to get better. When when I've done my year off the drinking drugs, um, I was doing many things like do meditation, yoga, support groups, um, tried an oil called CBD, um, was exercising, doing like hill walks and cycling and running. And um, when people are feeling really low, if they do um, one of those things, and that will uh, hopefully prevent them from going one step further. Um, obviously, talking to, talking to people is a big one. Yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just winging it and hopefully something good comes of it. Obviously, I'm partial to talking to people. Therapy is so helpful. But I also love hill walks, if you didn't catch Ryan's Scottish brogue there. We know it as hiking. Nature is great therapy by itself. Yeah, I, I remember, I can sympathize with everyone. Like I can remember asking me five years ago to do something like this. Um, quite a lot of people said, I could never have done what you've done, you know, telling my story. And I understand that because um, you asked me five years ago to tell my story, I would have just been like, what are you talking about? Uh, kept my mouth shut and just been a closed book and probably would have said, I'll, ne I'll never, I'll take this to the grave with me. One of the many themes of the MPE experience over our seasons has been people feeling alone and unable to talk to people who understand. 
or even people who are willing to hear about it repeatedly if they do understand. If your family isn't willing or able to listen, there are people out there who will. You might find it surprising how many people out there can relate to feeling out of place, even if they've never heard of an MPE. There's no pressure on people. People want to just come out with their story and tell just one person that's fine, even to tell a doctor, a therapist. The main point is there's people out there who care, strangers care. The way I look at it is that I, um, some people can't have the conversation with their parents or their partner or their friends and they kind of need to get be okay with that and you need kind of need to understand who you can turn to for different situations and just because your parents aren't there for you say emotionally they probably do still care each situation is different but there will there is support out there there was another reason ryan was overwhelmed from his video Beside the fear of putting everything out there, he was also inundated with messages from people relating to his problems. Yeah, because it's, it is really hard. Um, I'm saying I want to help everyone. And then I get lots of messages. And um, then you're like, whoa, uh, how do I deal with this? Then that's when I start to crash. I, I know personally that your sadness doesn't last forever. And um, yeah. When I'm feeling low, it can make me feel impossible that I'll feel better, I'll feel okay again. And um, something just snaps out of it. Usually, like motivational videos, they, they help me a lot. And then I just spring back into life. As a therapist, I often work with people to adjust to unwanted feelings or circumstances, but the goal is never to make the circumstances go away. We don't have control over that, after all. Bad things are going to happen. It's simply part of the fabric of life. But we do have control over how we handle it. It's successful when we anticipate something is happening and can use our planned skills to help us ride through it. Sometimes I've, I've, I've felt myself going down and I've been able to ride it out and was aware and it wasn't, it wasn't as bad. People with misperceived parentage experiences, or MPEs, know that this journey changes you. And it's not a linear process. Feelings change by the day or hour, depending upon your access to resources and what else is going on. Perhaps the main benefit of Ryan's video is his willingness to call attention to the effect his adoption experience had on his mental health. If the pandemic has had any silver linings, it is that mental health is finally a topic of the dominant discourse. It's in the mainstream and has been normalized for everyone. Also not a linear process, Mood issues like depression can be cyclical and heavily influenced by situational factors, like late discovery adoptions. Let's go back to Ryan's video for more on his mental health experience. But first, a fair warning for listeners who are sensitive to themes of suicidality. You may want to fast forward a minute or be sure you have someone to talk to after the episode. In September 2020, I thought I was strong enough to come off my antidepressants and I had an all-time low. All the trauma and negativity hit me in a winner, and I was that sad I was contemplating suicide. I would always have thoughts of suicide and self-harm, and when not as bad, thoughts of death, thoughts like, what would it be like to die today? But this time it was worse. I would think what life would be like if I wasn't adopted. Would I still be alive or running the streets in Morocco? What happens if I was told about my adoption when I was a kid? Or what happens if I was never told? 
It was so bad, Ryan tried to take his life with pills. And as you might expect, that changed everything. I regretted it after. I will always remember how I felt in that moment, and I never want anyone to feel like that. Now, this is why I'm drawn to people who have problems, and I want to help. Anyone who's felt like this, remember, you're not alone. With mental health, sometimes you want to die, or it feels like you want to die. But the moment is close to happening, you want to survive. So you don't really want to die, you just want to kill the sadness that's inside you. To make mental health better, people need to talk. I swear this is not a PSA for psychotherapy, but I don't disagree with Ryan's messaging. A difficult byproduct of MPE discoveries is feeling that you have to continue keeping a secret, creating toxicity. Talking openly about problems helps change how we see them within ourselves. Talking about loss is still one of the best ways to process grief and life events that take us by surprise. Back to my interview with Ryan. I asked him what being adopted means to him now. With uh, being a foundling, it felt like I was, um, basically I was an orphan. And um, yeah, you, just, you don't feel like you fit in. Um, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Um, with my mother, she picked me out of a line of babies. And um, my adopted dad, he says, we're going to get a, uh, a boy. And that's it. Because if you pick a girl, she'll when she grows up, she'll get married, have kids, more likely to leave. So we'll pick a, we'll pick a boy. So the first baby they picked was a girl. So let's put that down. Next one was me. So thoughts run through my head about, yeah, why did they pick me? What about the others? I was a bit of a nightmare kid, always shouting, being a bit spoiled, um, wanting to get my own way, disruptive, um, cheeky. <laughs> and then you think, I shouldn't be acting like that because I was picked. I should be a good member of society. <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> Adopted clients often talk about the message that they should be grateful because they were picked or chosen. I've started to relate to Ryan's feeling that he should be grateful. I was not adopted in the traditional sense that Ryan was, but I have become aware that my NPE birth in 1974 means that I could have been adopted out fully or aborted since Roe v. Wade had just set precedent. And some days I do feel grateful, and then, but I don't feel grateful when... On my bad days, I feel, yeah, really suicidal, um, which is not healthy. Adoption, you just feel like an outcast. So I made my friends my family. And then over the years, friends drift and they've got their own families. And as you get older, you start getting lonelier. It's just kind of like the, this adoption thing's all just hit me uh, a lot um, since COVID because I'm starting to deal with it. And I've not completely healed because I've, never, I've not really met anyone who's kept her that a secret for 12 years. Um, and that was, that was chewing me up inside. Ryan's interview with us and video during the lockdown in early 2021 give a sense of what late discovery adoption feels like and what the long-term issues are that come with it. He says he still struggles with feeling left out, trying to include others so they don't feel excluded, and finding a sense of belonging when the people that brought him into the world are still unknown. I'm so grateful to Ryan for his transparency and bravery in this podcast and his video, helping countless people feel included and seen. Check out his video titled My Story, Mental Health Awareness on YouTube, and we'll include the URL in the show notes. 
I missed my co-host Christina on this episode, but she was digging out of the 10-plus feet of Snowmageddon in the Tahoe area, a snowpack we direly need with our severe drought. Sex, Lies, and the Truth is written and produced by Jody Klugman-Rab and Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact us through our website at www.sexliesinthetruth.com. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month, even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex lies and the truth.